I'm Dr. Sandy Goldbeck-Wood. I'm the new editor of the Journal of Family Planning and Reproductive Healthcare, and uh, I'm talking to Anne Faradi. I'm Anne Faradi. I'm the chief executive of British Pregnancy Advisory Service, which is a charity that provides abortion services and family planning services throughout the country. Thank you. You're going to be talking about women and access to sexual and reproductive health care. Why do we need to be talking about this at the moment? I think it's really important for us to be talking about it because it seems to me that while access to contraceptive services, to STI services, have improved for some people, young people in particular, they haven't really improved for everyone and it's been on the government agenda since the late 1990s, since the sexual health strategy first really began to be seen as a mainstream policy priority. And we have to consider why it is, I think, that services have been so targeted. Do you mean targeted for sort of being reduced? Yeah. Uh, in what way targeted? One of the things that I've noticed is that services for younger people generally tend to be reasonably well funded. If you're over the age of 24, 25, there almost seems to be an assumption that you no longer have sex and that the idea that you need to have a full range of contraceptive choices or indeed that you need easy access to STI screening just isn't really up there. So in my hometown, for example, where I live, if you are under 24, you can attend the young person's clinic for your contraception. If you are over 24, you have to take a 10-mile train journey into the next town where there's a family planning clinic and STI clinic that will see everyone. Now, I'm not suggesting that funding that's going into young people's services should be removed and put into older people's services, but I am interested in discussing through why it is that there is an assumption that certain women can do without the services that we think young people should have. I'm wondering whether you are able to say anything about the cost effectiveness of contraception in terms of every pound that's spent on contraceptive services and I'm just wondering how that might feed through into costs saved at a later stage and what evidence we have on that. Well you see in some ways I think that's exactly the point that what we've done is we've started to think about contraceptive services very much in terms of public health and in terms of cost saving and investment to the NHS budget. And I think that when I'm talking today about putting a bit of feminism back in the mix, a bit of what women need back in the mix, and it may be sometimes that what women need to be able to go out to work to be able to live the kind of lives that they want to is not going to give you 
quite the degree of cost saving that targeting your intervention at young people might. But we have to think about more than just the bottom line and the money side of it. And I think that we've gone a long way in our services towards trying to cost everything out and trying to evidence everything out. But what I'm really interested in thinking is why was it that in 1970, when there was the very first women's liberation movement conference in 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 Oxford women there said free contraception and abortion on demand was one of the four key demands of the women's liberation movement and now we don't think about it in those terms we think about it in terms of cost effectiveness and in terms of the benefit to an overall public health care thing and I think the two things need to be a bit balanced. I wonder if we think about contraception um, into individualistic a way as a kind of because we think of it in terms of personal choice whether somehow it gets seen as part of a, a lifestyle issue rather than part of a public health issue in this day and age. Well it's funny because I think what happens is that those of us who work in the NHS, we think about it in terms of public health. I think that women think about it in terms of their own personal lifestyle. And I think that when a woman's thinking about her own choices, she is entirely thinking about what she wants in terms of her family size, what she wants in terms of the kind of contraceptive method that is best suited to her own lifestyle. And whether or not that is the most effective intervention from a public health point of view possibly isn't the first and foremost thing that's in her mind. Now, there are some really hard questions about it because I think maybe we have to recognise that for individual women it's about them. Does that mean that we can commit the public purse to affording every single woman's option or do we start thinking about different ways of funding contraceptive services? I don't really know but the one thing that I do know is that if somebody is saying I don't want to have an implant I wouldn't rule that out as necessarily being a bad thing for society. I think it really comes down to a question of what women want. Do you think we've got a bit complacent about contraception, which, of course, once upon a time was one of the biggest uh, developments in freeing women? As somebody pointed out earlier today, washing machines and contraception are often cited as the two things that made the biggest differences to women's lives. I wonder if we start to feel that this is a problem that's been solved and that therefore doesn't need focus and resources any longer. Do you know, I think that is absolutely, completely right. And I think it's a really good comparison because if you look at the development in technology that there's been with washing machines over the last 40, 50 years, it's phenomenal. When we talk about developments in contraception, we've generally fiddled around at the edges with different delivery systems for pretty much the same old hormones or slightly different methods. You know, I'm highly entertained that we were looking at the new generation of diaphragm cap 
in uh, our office the other day and it's a trendy cool purple in a little case that looks like a computer mouse and I think it just looks absolutely great but when you think about it what that is in terms of a means of protecting yourself against those tenacious little sperm it's uh, we really could be doing with something I think that's a lot better. I just wonder if you got any uh, comments about there have been a lot of changes in service provision in in the UK recently and um, I wondered if you'd got any comments about if you were able to speak to the Minister of Health what would you be wanting to say about how sexual health services are delivered for women in the next five to ten years? I think that I would be wanting to say first of all you need to make the investment to make services comprehensive and local because women who are main users of these services cannot be expected to truck from one town to another. I think they should understand that by providing people with the means to both prevent unwanted pregnancies and to treat sexually transmitted infections promptly and effectively can save downstream an immense amount of money and in fact prevent a needless amount of suffering and worry from the part of uh, people in, in, in the community. And we should stop looking at sex as though it's something that only occurs between younger people and should be dressed up in a language of risk. We should see that people quite naturally and quite reasonably expect sexual relationship to be part of a normal, mature adult relationship and the services have to be available to them and society has to plan for it just as it should be planning for the needs of the elderly and maternity services. This is not an optional extra. I wonder if you've got any thoughts about uh, the debates around integrated sexual health services. We're at a conference here today that's two uh, important sexual health organisations, BASH, the British Association of Sexual Health and HIV, and the Faculty of Sexual and Reproductive Health Care, um, both working together very strongly. And yet services are not always integrated on the ground. Some places have very integrated clinics and others don't. I wondered if you have any thoughts about the way forward in relation to keeping things integrated or making things more integrated. I think what people need to do with this is that we need to think about sexual health and contraceptive services really more from the point of view of people who are accessing those services and start thinking really about providing the kind of services and care pathways that those people really need. Because I don't think that out there in the community, people are constantly drawing the same kind of lines that we draw between infections, pregnancy prevention, menstrual disorders. Um, we put them in little boxes, and I don't think that people do. I think that women and men need clinics that they can go to to get their problems sorted out. And very often for a woman, uh, talking about her contraception 
is a way of talking about all of the other facets that come with sex, whether it's risk of infection, whether it's pain, whether it's concerns that she's got about her periods. And we need to bring those services closer together. But I think all the time that we look at them as being these discrete little silos of disciplines, it actually does our patients a disservice. So I see that the subtitle of um, the talk is Time for a Fourth Wave of Feminism. Why should doctors care about feminism? I think doctors should be concerned about feminism because I think that feminism is concerned with women's lives. And frankly, given that probably more than half of their patients are, are women and the doctors are concerned about their well-being and our well-being is so much determined by what goes on with us socially doctors just can't ignore it we are important as women so contraception is high on the list of international population health priorities isn't it um, when it comes to uh, the World Health Organization and I was just wondering if you could in a nutshell summarize the relationship between contraception and population health. I think we always have to be a little bit careful when we talk about population health and we talk about contraception because there's a, a current that I think is very unpleasant with some people that tends to assume that the problems the world faces are caused by there simply being too many of the wrong kind of people having too many children. And I think that that's absolutely wrong. However, I think that there is a hugely important thing between women's access to contraception and their ability to have control over their future because they are able to control their family size. And a woman who has no ability to control when she has children and whether she has children is in no position to be able to control anything else about her life. And that's why whatever society it is, we have to be mindful that any support that we can give to women in gaining control over their lives is going to benefit their entire community. Thank you very much.